Exercise doesn't have to be painful. Your diet doesn't need to be bland and boring. It's time to have less pain and move more and learn how to be better to yourself. Welcome to Pain-Free Day with your host, Joshua Cohen. In this program, you'll learn the pain-free way to eat, the pain-free way to exercise, and the pain-free way to live a better life. Now, here's Joshua Cohen. Welcome back to Pain-Free Day. I'm Dr. Josh Cohen. I'm here with Brett Jones, kettlebell guru, kettlebell master. He's been doing kettlebells for you know over 20 years probably. I think I was talking with my friend Sean, the first kettlebell session he had with you was back in 2002 or three with like three people. I think I short started training with you shortly afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, I love kettlebell swings. I think they're very functional. They're very easy on your body. Kettlebells, they're just a nice way to work your body in a very functional way, increase you're kind of the entire the strength of the entire kinetic chain. I look at it as more kind of real world functioning, real world strength that it gives you. You know, um, people train to be a bodybuilder. This is not that. You know, most of us don't want to train in that way, but a lot of people get pushed into training that way. We want to train to feel good. We want to train to reduce pain. We want to train so that we can, you know, navigate our way through life with less pain. So Brett's here. He's going to talk to us about the kettlebell swing. Absolutely, Josh. Thanks for having me on. It's wonderful to be here, have a chance to talk to you and your audience. And yeah, it's, uh, it is kind of interesting when you think back. Uh, I got my first kettlebell in late 01, okay. so it turns 20 this year. I still have it. That yellow one. The yellow one. Old, old yeller turns uh, 20 this year. And uh, actually, we're, we're going to be demonstrating with a kettlebell that I gave you um, 2004 yeah. when I moved to San Diego. And uh, so we've been at this for a little while and so been swinging for close to 20 years and I'm still working on my swing. It is a, it's a skill that I continue to refine and work on. Uh, but that should not intimidate anybody. That's, that's a good thing. It means you're seeking higher skill. You're seeking uh, mastery of a certain uh, exercise. You know, the popular fitness mags will get us thinking that we need a new routine every uh, four to six weeks, right? It's uh, muscle and fiction, as, as we like to say. And so, but when you seek skill, you look at something like Olympic weightlifting. Uh, so you have competitors who uh, they spend careers, 30 years in weightlifting. There's two exercises. There's the clean and jerk and there's the snatch and they spend a career trying to optimize those two things. So the swing is something that I think can come with you for many, many years of training. Um, We're gonna start with kind of a couple foundational talk. We'll talk about what gets you ready to be able to swing. Great. And then we'll talk about the foundation for the swing, which is actually the kettlebell deadlift. Okay. Once you've got the kettlebell deadlift, you have a hinge pattern that we can then turn into the swing. Gotcha. The swing uh, is tremendous power training and conditioning. So it does accomplish both. Uh, there's lots of different ways. We'll get to kind of how, you, how do you program this? How are you gonna put this into your routine later? But the swing is something that has been a foundational movement for me for about 20 years now. And um, I always know that I can come back to it and I can get benefit from it. And it's gonna help keep me healthy and fit for a long time. I agree with you, and I think that it gives you the, gives us the basis to keep to do all the other stuff that we want to do, to hike, to ski, to swim, to bike, to do all this stuff. It gives you the basis to do that, you know, and I love with Strong First what they say is, you know, strength gives you the basis for doing everything. And that makes so much sense. 
At this point, hey, look, a cardio, cardio is good, but it'll help you run from the first floor to the second floor without getting winded. <laughs> but if you have any pain, it's not going to stabilize anything. Right. It's not going to calm anything down. That's where you get into strength training. So, all right, what do you, uh, what do you think we should do first? So to get ready to deadlift, mm -hmm. we wanted, we want really, well, there's three things. I was going to say two, but we'll, we'll say three. Uh, first, uh, straight leg raise. Okay. Can you lie on your back and lift your leg to an uh, uh, appreciable amount so the ankle clears the mid-knee of the opposite leg? Okay. So I'm also a functional movement screen. Uh, yeah. I teach, travel and teach and present for them. And the FMS forms a foundation for a lot of what I do uh, with individuals that I work with because I want to clear that foundation. If you can't access your hips, well, deadlifting and swinging is going to be really tough. Well, and it can even further irritate things. And I love the saying that the FMS people say you're adding strength on top of dysfunction. Yes. And it doesn't do any good. It just drives that dysfunction deeper into your system. Right. You know? If you're happy with your movement, load it. And believe me, you are loading it when you swing. Uh, on a force plate, doing a two-handed swing with a 24-kilo bell. I'm pointing over there because there's a 24-kilo bell. Um, the... Uh, um, I can produce over three and a half times body weight eccentric load at the bottom of a swing with only a 53 pound weight. So the numbers get big. So you're loading yourself, by the time you're swinging to an appreciable level, you're loading yourself in a fairly significant fashion. So you want to be ready for that load. So we want to be able to access the hips. So being able to perform the straight leg raise. Should we demonstrate? Sure. We... Yeah, let's, I'll, I'll pop down real quick and just, uh, so if I'm, you know, if I'm here, I want to be able to lift my legs so the ankle clears the mid-knee mid of the opposite side, maybe even past mid-thigh. Okay, so if it were over here, that's not quite enough, is that correct? Correct. Okay. So if, I'm, if that ankle is below that mid-knee line of this down leg, I'm not getting enough out of that hip mobility. That makes sense. So I want to be able to cross that barrier on both sides, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, now, this pattern gets complicated uh, in three ways. I can have a true posterior chain restriction. I can have an anterior chain restriction because what I'm doing is se separating my legs. Do I have to steal from one side to accomplish the motion on the other side? Or is one side blocking me from accessing that? And I can have poor lumbopelvic control. So if I don't know how to stabilize my pelvis first, moving my hips is going to be more difficult. So in this position, if I can clear that barrier, which I think I'm past mid-knee on both sides, um, then I can move forward into the next step. If you're not, a little soft tissue work, uh, a little trigger point work might be the key to opening up that pattern. Then you want to repattern it a little bit. And there's, there's exercises you can look up. And we, we could do a whole separate podcast on how we would open that up. The FMS is a great place to start with that. Definitely. So uh, that's step one. Let's make sure that you can access the hips to that level. Mm -hmm. Then to continue into something that's more deadlift specific, can you touch your toes? Fair enough. So, um, you know, can you keep the knees uh, straight but not locked? Okay. Because sometimes by locking the knees out, you can, it actually gives some pulse, false negatives or false positives. So we want to uh, straight but not locked. Can you touch your toes? Now, one of the reasons you'll lack your toe touch is, and if you'll note, the first thing I do with my hips and my toe touch 
is they go backwards. Hip hinge. So I have a weight shift that allows me to go ahead and get to my toes very easily. Sure. If I don't, and, and one quick way that you can demonstrate this is if I go up against the wall mm -hmm. and I can't hip hinge, gotcha. <laughs> that becomes my toe touch. Okay. Because my brain at this point is a little smarter than I am. And when I go to, my only choice is to fall forward. So that your brain goes, well, I'd rather not face plant. So I'm going to fire up the posterior chain. I'm going to prevent you from getting to your toes because if you go any further, you're going to fall. So sometimes, and everybody's going to say, well, I have tight hamstrings, so that's why I can't touch my toes. That might not be the case. I find a lot of times tight hamstrings are coming from tight hips. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe they're just patterned wrong. So like somebody that doesn't know how to weight shift in their toe touch, they're going to say, I got tight hamstrings. And okay. they don't have tight hamstrings. They have protective hamstrings because gotcha. you don't want to face plant, right? Fair enough. So the plantar flexors, the hamstrings get fired up. So if you can touch your toes and you have that weight shift, we're now going to load that weight shift in the deadlift. Okay. And one of the reasons that, and I'm going to give a side view for the, uh, for the folks at home. Um, one of the reasons the kettlebell deadlift to me is the optimal place to start learning how to deadlift is I can put my center of mass over that center of mass. The closer I can line up those centers of mass, the safer it is. I think anybody that's ever, you know, caught something on outstretched arms knows that that creates a lot of load. You know, trying to hold something out here loads the body a lot. And so you go to pick something up and for a lot of people when they go to deadlift, they, they do something like this, now, and you can see the gap, and you can see my center of mass is now back here. That center of mass is out there. That distance makes a problem for my back. Yeah. Um, every, every foot an object is away from you, it's 10 times the load. Wow. So when you hold 10 pounds mm -hmm. at arm's length, it's like 100, 150 pounds to your back. So this opportunity to line those centers of mass up and learn how to connect the lats into your deadlift. And so we're gonna, warning, anatomical stuff coming up. Um, the lats, so I'm gonna use yep. you as a model. So if you'll uh, turn your back to them. So this lat becomes this thoracolumbar fascia, becomes this glute, becomes that IT band, Got goes you. down, wraps around. So mm -hmm. if you don't connect your lat, into your deadlift and swing, you're swinging with half your body. Gotcha. And so when we connect in the lat, um, we sync up the big X in back, and that is one of the things that allows us to be very strong. That's awesome, because that goes along with a lot of stuff I've been hearing in chiropractic and just in physical therapy, where they're talking about fascial trains at this point, fascial lines, what connects to what. You know, the best way I've had patients or, you know, students describe it to me, they're like, you know, you can kind of demonstrate it like this. Something up here is going to be pulling down there. Yeah. I love that demonstration for it. That, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So from a strength perspective, the more I can become one unit, the more weight I can use. Now, and of course, the other piece of that is I gotta have a good cylinder. So this midsection, 
Um, I'm not going to use the core work. I like that. I like that. And I was just talking to my wife about that yesterday because she was talking about her hips, you know, her glutes. And she was saying her core. I'm like, well, is it part of my core? I'm like, well, technically it's the midsection and it's all part of it. Right. Absolutely. I like that terminology. Yeah. So in creating that stable cylinder in the middle, um, if, and we're going to go with like a box analogy and you can use a soda can analogy. So, because uh, it's more it's cylindrical, so the midsection, the cylinder. Um, so if I have a can here, the top of that can is my diaphragm. Mm -hmm. So major muscle and breathing, stabilization, posture, diaphragm's really important. That's a whole other podcast. Um, so diaphragm's the top, pelvic floor's the bottom. The back is the back, so that, that works. And then your abdominal wall is the front of the can, mm -hmm. okay? So if you have a full soda can, you can stand on that can, right? It's very strong. That makes sense, yeah. Empty can, what happens when you step on it? Collapses, right? It's ready for recycling, right? So the idea of creating some intra-abdominal pressure, making sure that cylinder is full, is going to help stabilize you for the deadlift and the swing. That makes sense. But then also, just so everybody out there knows, if you can do that, if you can access your core, that's going to increase your stability just in life. You're going to be able to lift things easier, move easier. It has a lot of real-world ramifications that I really like. 100%. Oh, that's great. And so one of the reasons for that is you have baroreceptors in your, abdo in your abdomen, and they are the amplifiers for your neurological system. Okay. So when you properly pressurize, you fire off those baroreceptors, it creates and allows you to be even stronger. Wow. So okay. there's, there's another reason for why that intra-abdominal pressure is so important. And anybody that's ever leaned over in their trunk to pick something up and goes, huh, that's you naturally creating intra-abdominal pressure. That's interesting. It fires off the pelvic floor. Huh, it creates that little bit of intra-abdominal pressure. You do it subconsciously when you're trying to pick something up in an awkward position and you grunt. We're just going to do it in a slightly different way for the deadlift and the swing. Awesome. That makes sense. So as I get ready to deadlift this, uh, so I've. That's, uh, there's only five minutes left, so if you're going to demonstrate it, we'll just take any case. Cool. Let's do it. Perfect cut point. Good. Yeah. <laughs> cool. It's, you know, it, it, I've been reading about it and, yeah. you know, especially the kind of the crushed, you know, kind of like, you know, it's the core, you know, and yeah. just how, or sorry, the midsection, you know, and like the soda can, you know, and how it's like you're increasing the pressure and just makes everything much more stable. You Absolutely. Know, that makes so much sense. And that's uh, the, the baroreceptor thing is, is interesting, a little more neurological. Like, like that. You know, uh, that, that makes sense too. You know, but, but also it's good to put stuff like that in there. It makes it sound like, it makes it sound like we know what we're talking about. Exactly. That's key. So I'm going to be here doing this. Okay. Yeah. So, so I will, should I, when I stand over here, yeah, so not like right in front of you or right. Well, and I, I don't want to, I'll stand over here. I, I don't want to be inappropriate. How far can I be this way and still be in screen? Uh, you're fine. Okay. You can move that fan behind you if you need more space. Um, and this is like when you're on film and the, the whole two-dimensional thing and I'm leaning over doing this and you're standing there with your crotch in my face. Right. <laughs> or right behind you. Or right you know? behind me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, there's, there have been several times when I'm filming where we're, we look at it and we're like, oh, well, we're reshooting that. It's like I coach baseball and I've learned when I go to the baseball field not to say, hey, does anybody have any balls? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. 
Where, where would be the best place for me to stand? So I'm going to be right here doing this. So should I be, is this okay? I, I think you're good. I think he's good there. That yeah. That is non-awkward looking. Is, is it better if I squat? Sure. Okay. And feel free to change position and do do your thing. You may actually want to point or you know do something at, at some point. Cool? Yeah, Okay, so as I'm getting ready to deadlift, I've already checked some boxes, right? My leg raise is good, my toe touch is there. I know how to access a little bit of that cylinder, so I'm, I'm ready to start kind of deadlifting. So what I'm gonna do is stand over top of this bell, and you'll note the handles back where my ankles are. Okay. So yep. to you at home, it might look like the bell disappeared a little bit, but that's purposeful. I'm standing over top of it. My stance is wide enough so both hands can be in, in between, and my toes are out. And podcast number four is adjusting your stance to your individual hip position, right? Yep. So we're gonna toe out uh, and make sure that my hips are comfortable. Because if I optimize the motion at my hip, my back doesn't have to do anything. If my hip stops, I'm going to move from my back. Gotcha. So making sure I'm in a good stance is, is really important. So from this position, I'm going to connect my lats in to my deadlift before I ever touch the bell. So it, you can do this too. If you just reach down in your pockets, feel your lats come on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now give me a Jersey Shore uh, imaginary latch, right? What, sure. what just turned off? Lats. Exactly. So connecting the lats into your deadlift is not come at me, bro, it's anti-shrug. And there's your lats. So I sniff a little air in, I anti-shrug, I sniff a little air in, I sit back into my hips and grab the bell. Now, what you should note is shoulder above hip, hip above knee. My shins are not vertical. There is a slight forward shin angle. For some reason, people's interpretation of a deadlift has become a stiff leg deadlift. And what I mean by that is minimal knee bend and leaning more leaning over yes, at the that, torso. That's the deadlift that I'm more familiar with. Okay. So the, the challenge I'm going to give you is vertical leap like that. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> exactly. You, know? you, you never would. Mm -hmm. yeah. But if I go, you can very easily picture me ready to vertical leap, mm -hmm. right? Where am I? I'm in my deadlift position. Okay. So in my bizarre little brain, a deadlift is when the dominant motion of your hips is back. Okay. A squat is when the dominant motion of your hips is down. Okay. So as long as we keep that in mind, so even if I'm doing a single leg deadlift, the dominant motion there was back into my hip yeah. versus a squat where the dominant motion was down. So think vertical leap, not RDL. And RDL is not a bad exercise. Mm -hmm. It's just not what we're after with this particular movement. So in between the heels, anti-shrug, sniff some air in, sit back. You can even top off the air a little bit more. Now I start to push through the ground and come to the top. Sniff in again. Keep the arms against the ribs, take it back down to the ground. So, a couple of key things there. What I did not do was pull with my shoulders. Yes. So, 
a lot of people, because the deadlift is a pull, mm -hmm. they get down here and the first thing they do is pull with the shoulders, pull with the back. Ah, you're right. Okay, because that's kind of what I do as well and I've seen that done. Yes, yeah. so that motion of pulling with the back actually kind of disengages you from all the power that you could be getting out of your legs. Okay. There was a Russian weightlifter who said when he deadlifted, he would push into the ground so hard his feet would burn. Like that's how much pressure he was putting down into the ground. So I don't want you to think, it's like Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups. He does earth downs, right? Okay. So I don't want you doing, uh, I don't want you picking up your deadlifts. I want you doing earth downs. I want you trying to shove yourself and you have a great mat here, but my goal is to leave one inch deep footprints of my entire foot in your mat. Gotcha. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. It's physically impossible, but that's my mindset. My mindset when I'm deadlifting and swinging is I want to produce so much energy down into the ground, pushing hips first. And you can see the difference when the hips initiate versus the shoulders and back initiates. Yeah. Make sure you're doing the first one where we're pushing through the ground. The hips are in charge. So again, anti-shrug cylinder hinge grab the handle top off the air push into the ground nice standing plank straight line from my ear to my ankle cylinder is engaged top it off keep those arms against the ribs let go and reset i would also encourage people who are learning to deadlift one rep at a time ah okay that makes sense do five sets of one so you're always having to let go, reset, stand up, go again. Um, it's, it's safer. It's a perfect rep at a time. So break yourself from the repetition mindset. Because if I say do 10, where's your brain go? It goes to 10. Well, two's important, four's important, seven's important. Every one of those reps is important. Yeah. But the mind goes 10. So let's do it one perfect rep at a time. So a lot of details there on the deadlift, um, but it is foundational. But you know, with the details, you need the details. We all need the details because if we don't do it right, it's very easy to injure yourself. And that's why in my office, I see people all the time that are injuring themselves doing squats, deadlifts, things like that. And generally the ones who are into it tight, irritated, not doing it in the right way, just trying to kind of get through the reps or get through the weight, you know, and then say, hey, I was able to do this. But you know, if you're not doing it right, you're just irritating yourself, you yeah. know, creating injury. Absolutely. Um, devil's in the details, but so is the benefit. So we don't want to get lost in the details. At a certain point, you got to deadlift the bell. Mm -hmm. But thinking through those things before and setting that pattern, and you know that could mean that you get down here and you experiment with your with your position. Ah, that's a little too squatty. I, I don't feel good there. Ah, that's a little too high. Um, you know, find that kind of oh right yep right there. That's the, that's the position where I feel everything load up just right. Uh, and it just made me think of something else. Sometimes one of the reasons we go into that stiff legged RDL position is people are trying to find a hamstring stretch. Gotcha. Yep. I'm not stretching right now. I'm strength training. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeking a stretch. So if you're in your deadlift or swing, 
and probably several other exercises, and you're trying to find a stretch, and you're not stretching, like there's a, there's a difference. Stretches are completely different, right? Yeah. So if I'm different loading myself, yeah, I'm loading myself, and I'm uh, strength training, I'm usually not seeking a stretch. So watch out for that as well. That's a, that's a common one. So now as we transition to the swing, mm -hmm. I am going to move this bell, and I am going to be basically a foot length behind the bell. Big mistake. People get too far away and they reach for the bell first. Okay. That's not a great position to do much of anything from. Whereas if I'm a foot length behind the bell and I'm, I'm even going to close my eyes and you can verify my eyes are closed the whole time. Okay, they are. I'm going to hinge and then I'm going to reach for the bell. So I may have done that setup a few times, right? <laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> Once or twice. But it's, it's, it's mechanical because it's practiced, it's yep. rehearsed. I know I'm in a good position to start swinging the bell. So once I'm in that position, my first job is to hike the bell. And that's going to create that connection between the lats. So I get the arms against the ribs, I get my lats engaged, I become one unit. So now as I fire up, out of that bottom position, I have that nice power can flow through me much easier. You don't want to be disconnected at the lats. So um, hike, pop, then you got to be patient. Here's one of the things people don't understand about power. Power is about patience. Do you have the patience to close all the doors in sequence to move the power through your body. So if I get quick with the knees, if I get quick with the hips, if, you know, if I don't have the patience to close all those doors and move that energy, that's gonna create a problem. Now on the way down, same thing. I gotta be patient, wait for those arms to reconnect, then hinge. Because okay. common mistake is I hinge early. That's what, I, that's what I've been doing, and I think I tweaked my back a little bit doing that. Look at the gap. Gotcha. Okay. You're loaded. You're now going, now the bell's swinging you. <laughs> You're gotcha. not swinging the bell. Okay. Because now I hinged early. That bell's going to come down, and it's mm -hmm. going to pull me mm -hmm. instead of me guiding it into my hips. Once again, getting that center of mass very close to my center of mass in this really unique loaded eccentric position. Boom, and then I pop up, okay? So, sorry folks at home for the, for the, the pop. I get excited. Um, so do I, I love this. <laughs> so it is, um, those, those details are important, so patience. Well, you know, and just a quick aside, because what I see is that, especially in strength training, a lot of people aren't patient enough, and that's what creates a lot of injuries. People want to get strong right away, and it takes time to put on weight, you know, and time to get stronger. You and I were talking before we started filming about, you know, I'm taking, I started, I'm trying to build up to using the 70-pound kettlebell with one-arm swings and Turkish get-ups, but I'm taking my time. I'm not there yet. I want to get good first with the 62-pound and take my time. And yep. if it takes a year, fine. If it takes two years, so, you know, I, I want to be comfortable. You know, it doesn't matter. Exactly. You know, it's more the, you know, the journey as opposed to the uh, goal. I was just about to say, strength is a journey. And it is, it's something that takes time and it, it should be a lifetime pursuit. Yes, because um, we're, only, we're only strong if we're doing it. 
You right. know, if you stop doing it, then you start losing the effects. And to your point earlier about cardio and strength training, like I fully get training the heart and having a good cardiovascular system, yes. but when you're too weak to get out of a chair, you're not going to be doing a whole lot of cardio. Or if you, you know, if you're one of the runners that you can run 20 miles in a straight line, but you can't step to the side, what good is it? It's you a problem. Know, it's, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I kind of look as you're not very functional at that point. Right. I agree. So now I'm going to swing. So the bell's going to be popping up here. Um, so I'm going to do what we call a dead swing. Mm -hmm. And it's back to that mindset of one perfect rep at a time. Okay. So I'm going to hike, pop, hike, park. Then I'll do, I'll do about three reps. I don't want to wear myself out or anything. <laughs> so from here. And so that allows me to practice the swing one perfect rep at a time. Now, is that a good way for people to start with this? It is. Good. Master your deadlift. Make sure you've got a great deadlift pattern. Um, and if kind of a, a little bit of a, uh, we'll call it a prerequisite. If I was going to swing, let's say I want to swing the 16 kilo bell. I want to be doing deadlifts with maybe the 32 kilo bell. Remember I said three and a half times body weight eccentric load at the bottom of that swing. Sure. That's way more, that 16 kilo weighs way more during the swing than it does during a deadlift. Makes sense. So I want to be able to deadlift more than I'm getting ready to swing. But regardless, groove your deadlift. Have a really solid hinge pattern because once you add speed and load, things usually don't get better. <laughs> you know, and, and what Brett is talking about here is that if you're in pain, if you're doing deadlifts and you're in pain afterwards, that means something's going on. Something's not sustainable, you're irritating things, and you will produce injury. So you want to make sure that you can do this, do the deadlift first comfortably, confidently, feeling strong, and then you can move on to the swing. Yes. So now that we've done some dead swings. Good. We were at another good cut point. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. This is great. By the way, you know, and honestly, it's it funny because I wanted to ask you about a little bit about that because I tweaked my back a couple of times. And what I was looking at is I was kind of like catching it almost as opposed to sticking my butt back far enough. But what you're saying makes sense and that chances are I was, a little, I was sticking my butt out before, you know, I was coming down. Right. As, as soon as I do that, I feel the irritation that I produced. Yep. <laughs> you know? and, and we can, I mean, we can look at your swing if your back's feeling good and you're, and you're up for some swings. Um, there's, there's another thing there that uh, you made me think of uh, what you might be doing uh, in addition to hinging too early is for, for the hinge, we don't want to dump the pelvis. Okay. So too many people initiate their squat and deadlift right. by dropping their pelvis mm -hmm. instead of maintaining the cylinder and pulling themselves in the hole. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, that makes it, I can see a difference with that. Yeah. I can feel a difference with that. Cool. That's pretty cool. Okay. So we'll, we'll actually start there. Cool. All right. So before we transition to the continuous swings from the dead swing, uh, we were talking just a second off camera and you made me think of something. And the, uh, the way setting the cylinder is part of the conversation. Maintaining the pelvis is the other part of the conversation. So too many people when they squat and deadlift, 
they initiate their squat or deadlift by dropping their pelvis. Their idea is they're gonna arch their back yes. so they don't load their back. This actually loads your back. It's counterintuitive. The, 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 yeah. you, you say, well, I'm gonna do this so I have a nice arch in my back. Well, dropping the pelvis like that and not maintaining that cylinder, because if you take your thumbs on the edge of the ribs and now go down the soft underbelly, okay, and drop your pelvis. What just happened to the abradabras? They're, they're gone, yeah. right? So now glutes and abs and everything's solid, right? Mm -hmm. Drop, soft, yeah. bring can, it up you level. Can't you can't stick your butt back with contracting your abs. Correct. So now when I hinge, I don't want to do that to initiate. I want to do that to initiate. So I'm actively pulling myself into the hole, maintaining my pelvis position. Gotcha. Hinging from the hip, not trying to arch the back. Gotcha. That makes a difference. So as we transition to the continuous swing, uh, it's just like the dead swing, but instead of hike, pop, hike, park, it's hike, pop, hike, pop, hike, pop. And I have a pause there for a reason. I'm going to enjoy the float at the top of the swing. It's the only rest you get. So enjoy it. So just a quick aside, because I see mm -hmm. a lot of people doing this when they say that they do kettlebell swings. And what they'll do is they'll say, yes, I do it. You know, it's like it's all shoulders. Yeah, exactly. And so what you're talking about is when you come up with a pop, it just kind of floats a little bit. Yep. And that's what it should do. And you want to enjoy that. Arms are ropes, hands are hooks. The power's coming from the hips, pushing through the ground, and it's transferred to the bell. And then wait for the reconnect, hinge again. So, looks a little something like this. And the set's not over till you safely park the bell. So we don't go six eh, and collapse over and drop the bell. The, the setup is your first rep. Properly parking it is your last rep. So don't quit early. Gotcha. Now you can hear the breathing. Mm -hmm. So on the hinge, sniff air into that brace cylinder. On the extension, get some air knocked out. You're getting trapped between your glutes and abs at the top, and that should knock air out of you. Replace it on the way down, get air knocked out of you on the way up. And that's what makes <clears throat> kettlebell swing cardiovascular. You know, I like the fact that it can be aerobic as well. It is a rhythmically repetitive power exercise that will crank up your heart, breathing, it's, it's awesome. That's, yeah, you know, I mean, I kind of look at it as it kind of covers most bases, you know, like cardiovascular, but it's also ballistic. So it's like, you know, it's, it teaches you how to produce power, you know, and I kind of like, I mean, I'm pushing my kids to do it because I think it'll help them run faster. It'll yes. Help them move quicker. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and you know, as with an, with an aging population, one of the things, strength decreases, but power. 
Well, so I'm a decreases. Big, I'm a big believer in that. And what I see, what I say to my patients a lot is the, you know, the tendency with humans as human beings is we lose muscle mass as we age. Yep. And that, and that's behind a lot of mobility issues as we age. And if you can just maintain muscle mass, it really helps keep you moving, helps keep you feeling young. You know, Absolutely. It's a big issue. That's know? one of the most common things from an aging population is balance issues. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid of falling. Mm -hmm. Well, falling is getting knocked out of your center of gravity, your locus of control, however you want to refer to it, and not having the ability to then get your center of mass back and bring it back with you. The center of mass goes, and you're not quick or powerful enough to make that to catch, catch yep. and come back. So, you know, that, I think all, everything kind of ties in together. You know, where it's like the weaker you get, the less, you know, then that affects your balance. The worse your balance gets makes you more susceptible to falling and just all that stuff kind of triggers itself. But then another nice aside that you had mentioned years ago that I love about the kettlebells is that you're like, this is a perfect, um, perfect fitness tool for an apartment because yep. you just have one or two, you stick it in your back, you know, in a corner and it's very easy. You know, what, what are good sizes for people to start with, would you say? So... Uh, for the average, well, for the person who's not currently not doing any strength training, mm -hmm. um, you're starting into this uh, uh, without a base. Um, guys, 16 to 20 kilo. Uh, ladies, 12 kilo, 8 to 12. Now, the bells get smaller, so a 12 kilo bell, just for comparison, the, I think that's a 12. Um, I yep. think that's, yeah. So... Just for size comparison, you can see 32 kilo bell, different from the 12 kilo bell. I would have to deadlift much deeper to get to the 12 kilo bell. Gotcha. That may take you beyond your current mobility ability. Gotcha. So you may have to uh, put that on a block and bring it up to your mobility ability. Gotcha. And then you can progress down. So uh, ladies, 8, 12 kilo. Guys, 16, 20 kilo. Uh, if you have a strength base and you've been training, um, guys, 16 to 24 kilo. I don't know where, where you are in your strength journey or injury history. Ladies, 12 to 16 kilo. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yep. So I'm, uh, I'm a huge fan and you know, certainly pandemic times have proven that having a home exercise option is yeah, right. rather important. Yeah. And to your, like, like you just said, give me two or three kettlebells, I'm good. Yeah. I don't need a gym. I'm, it's, it's a sad story, and I don't want to turn this into a therapy session for me, but I've basically trained by myself for like the last 20 years. And I try not to take that as a like, people don't like me sort of thing. Um, but I just, when I started kettlebells 20 years ago, nobody was doing them. Right. I was the weird guy <laughs> at the gym. No. I'm still kind of the weird guy, <laughs> but, but now everybody's doing. Now everybody's doing them. Um, up in my office, and my kettlebells tend to multiply. They're they're not quite like rabbits, but they've multiplied. I've got lots of kettlebells. Um, so, but I have I have a collection of them up in my office. I did not worry during pandemic times about how I was going to get my fitness back. You know, post cancer treatment, I knew I had space, and I had bells and i'm good yeah i completely agree with you where it's like you know this past year it taught us that you want to be able to exercise at home you have to have an option for doing something at home you know and that's the same thing with myself i had uh, 
I had kettlebells upstairs, but then it kind of, you know, once the pandemic hit, I set all this stuff up. I yeah. wanted to have it a little more substantial, but also my kids are getting older and I didn't want them dropping a weight through the floor and like going onto a car or something like that. Yeah. You know, you ain't kidding. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, and I've joked for a long time and you know, right now I train predominantly my trainings with a 32 to 40 kilo bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you stuck me in a room with a 16 kilo bell, I'm still coming out fit and strong. Like it, it, the weight at a certain point, the weight matters, but the weight doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. I can, I can get strong and fit with a variety of weights. Uh, and I think that, uh, the freedom that that gives you, uh, from a, from a fitness and training perspective, um, Socrates said, and I'm going to paraphrase here cause I can't remember exactly what he said, uh, that it's a shame. No, no one should be an amateur when it comes to their body. You should know how to train, how to move your body. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the other thing that's really been borne out during pandemic times is being fit means you do better under stress, whatever that stress is, whether it's a sickness like COVID. And there's been some studies that talk about fitness and COVID, uh, grain of salt. They, um, Anyway, that's a a whole other podcast. But, you know, along those lines, though, what we've been seeing, you know, people that are overweight are having a lot more trouble dealing with COVID, you know, and really your immune system is going to be a lot stronger. You'll be able to, I just kind of look as you're able to navigate your way through life a little easier, getting sick a little less, a little less injury prone. Absolutely. You know, really, and, you know, I agree with you. It helps you fight stuff off better, you know, the better you're feeling, you know, just even better mindset. It all kind of ties in together. You know, strength, and, and so uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but we're going to go on it. Um, I was on a podcast recently, and I was asking, because we all know we should be fit, right? It's one of those things. It's like, everybody knows. It's like saying, I should eat broccoli. Like, everybody's going to go, yeah, we should probably eat broccoli. Um, we should all be fit, right? So why don't we pursue fitness? So if I ask you, I'm going to say the word fit, what is the first thing that pops into your brain? Exercise. Okay. This person I was on the podcast with, she goes, bodybuilder. Well, what if bodybuilder is a real negative connotation for you? I don't want to be a bodybuilder. So if you're, or it could be you had a bad experience in gym. I think some people out there are going to resonate with the fact that they had that mean gym teacher back when kids actually had to take gym. Uh, They had that mean gym teacher, they had that bad experience, they develop a bad relationship with this physical, uh, our physicality. Mm -hmm. So think about what is your first reaction when I say, we're gonna strength train, we're gonna get fit. What is that first image that pops into your head? Because if it's negative, we gotta change that first. See, I still agree with that because I think so many people, when you say fit, you know, it's like they're thinking, like you said, bodybuilding, having to get big, having to get huge. And a lot of times, and what functional movement people say this, and I, I really like it, and I've seen it in other places, but what are you training for? What's the purpose that you're training for? Are you training to get big, be a bodybuilder, or are you training to navigate your way through life with less pain? You know, I'm, that, I'm exercising and I'm training to have less pain. I want to be able to, when I'm 70, 80, 90 years old, I still want to be able to hike, do the things that I want to do, you know, as opposed to just, hey, let me just get big right now and who cares what's going to happen, you know, afterwards, you know, but really it's like you want to pick why you are training, you know, what's the purpose with it. Definitely. And if that's a negative self-image, if that's a negative response to the idea of fitness or strength, let's change that because strength is beautiful. 
I think we can all think about examples from maybe athletics where we see somebody uh, doing something that just looks so easy, but we know it's such an intense skill and it's so difficult. They make it look beautiful. Ballet. That strength. Ballet. We were just at the PBT open air. Uh, oh, oh my gosh. Go it's fantastic. And he's watching what these people do with their bodies. It's amazing. You know, it's... But they're <sighs> all in pain. You know, and I've heard that as well with a lot of professional athletes. Most professional athletes are in pain. So we don't want to train like them. Professional athletes are training you yeah. know, for, for a purpose. You And you push to that level. Yeah. So let's just say that the way I train is not how those people train. Yeah. I'm not pushing to that level. They have a professional goal. They need to be able to hit that performance on stage. They need to be able to catch that ball or whatever the case may be. Their training is completely different. Um, and for most of those people, when they do leave those very high-end professions, they start training like I do because yeah. they don't want to be in pain. They want to feel good. They want to maintain their, their ability. And so I, I think the message of strength is something that we need to really keep putting a positive spin on. And every, it, no one should be an amateur when it comes to their body. I completely agree. And one quick statement about this is that anybody can strength train. No matter your shape, it'll benefit you. No matter your age, it'll benefit you. But you don't have to go hard. You don't have to be lifting, you know, pumping heavy iron an hour a day, five days a week. What we're talking about is something a little different. You want to be within your means. You want to go easy. And even if you don't increase your weight a ton throughout the rest of your life, you're still doing more than what you were before and you'll still benefit from it. Your bones will benefit. Your muscles will benefit. So even if you're doing light weights, you're still getting a benefit from it. Absolutely. Just... Uh, I, I'm going to butcher some English here, so English teachers and, and grammar people don't come after me. But stronger is gooder. <laughs> <laughs> the world's easier when it's when you're a little stronger. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Hey, this has been great. I really appreciate it. You know, this has been awesome. Um, I hope this has helped you guys out as well. Um, this has been very educational. I greatly appreciate it. Brett. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You guys have a pain-free day. Thank you for listening to Pain-Free Day. Make sure you join Joshua Cohen for another program next Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Now, go enjoy your pain-free day.